Praise God. If you did not get one of our praise reports, you can write this on any piece of paper, but if you need a piece of paper, we want to know what God has done for you today, this week, whenever it was, and we want to read them at the end of the service here. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. We accidentally, I accidentally skipped over Proverbs chapter 3 last week and went right to chapter 4. So I told you we'd be coming back to it. We're back in Proverbs chapter 3 this week. If you want to open there or look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. There was an atheist who was walking through the woods and he was enjoying nature. He was enjoying the, the animals, the sounds, the trees, the flowers, all the things that were going on. As he was walking on through the forest, he heard a wrestling in the bushes behind him. He turned around and he saw a seven-foot bear. And so he took off running. Well, he looked back and he saw the bear was gaining on him, which they do. Bears are pretty fast. And so he tried to run faster. And as he ran faster through the woods, you can kind of figure out what might happen. And he tripped over something and he fell down, rolled over on his back and saw the bear coming down upon him. And the bear raised up his paw to just swat him and just swat the life right out of him. And out of his mouth came, oh, my God. And right then, everything stopped. There was no more noise in the forest. The bear stopped with his paw up in the air. And this light shone out of heaven upon this atheist. And this is what God said to him. You deny my existence for all these years. Teach others I don't exist and even credit creation to a cosmic event. Do you expect me to help you out out of this predicament? It might account you as a believer. Well, the atheist looked right into the light and he said this. It would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian now. But perhaps you could make the bear a Christian. God said very well and the light went out and the nature resumed and noises came back in the forest. And the bear went from having his paw ready to strike. All of a sudden, the bear pulled his paw down. And the bear bowed his head. And the bear said, Father God, I am thankful for this meal I'm about to enjoy. (laughs) How many times have we been in a predicament and we want God to bail us out? When the word of God has given us wisdom that would have prevented us from ever getting into it. The word of God teaches us, he says, in all things, of all things you can get, get wisdom, get understanding. It is the most important thing that you need to get in your life, wisdom and understanding. Because if we walk and order our life by the wisdom that God gives us and the understanding that we gain, we will avoid a whole lot of predicaments in our walk. As we went over the last couple of weeks, we saw some of the things that we, we looked at wisdom compared to foolishness. And we saw some examples in the Bible of people who had the wisdom, the wise choice and the foolish choice. And they took the foolish choice. And we looked at why do people take foolishness over wisdom? Remember, there are four reasons for it. Four reasons. We made the acronym CAPE out of it. The first thing was cost. That foolishness doesn't generally cost us as much. Appeal. Appeal generally, uh, uh, foolishness generally appeals to our flesh more. Pressure. There's generally more pressure from peers, from situations, and from people to go along with the foolish decision. Effort. The foolish 
decision, the foolishness we hear, generally takes less effort than does wisdom. And so most people take foolishness over wisdom because of these things, the cost, the appeal, the pressure, and the effort. We saw that wisdom in the Word of God, Proverbs chapter 2, tells us that wisdom is out in the open. When wisdom speaks, it shouts it from the open square, it says. It's not hidden, it's not covert. But when foolishness comes, people pull you aside because they don't want it brought to the light. They don't want other people to expose what it is. So foolishness tries to stay concealed. We looked at, last week we were looking at Proverbs chapter 4, and I want to reread for you these verses of Scripture. I hope you meditated on some and, and found some things in these yourself. But in verse 18, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter under the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it, out of what? Out of your heart spring the issues of life. You need to keep your heart because out of it, out of your heart spring the issues of life. Do we need life? Absolutely. He says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issue of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. We asked you this question last week. How does life come out of your heart? If life springs from your heart, how does it come out? And we looked at the Word of God and we saw that it comes out of your words. Matthew 12, verse 34. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word that a man may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. He then goes on in Proverbs chapter four and verse 24 and says, put away from you a deceitful mouth. It is imperative that your mouth does not speak deceit because your mouth is supposed to be hooked up with your heart and spring and bring forth life. Be the spring of life. If you hook your mouth up to deceit and to lies, you separate it from being able to bring forth life. Therefore, where does life come to, come to you from? You've cut off the source. And your life will be altered. Put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. So we gave you these things, thoughts for. First off, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it, your heart, spring forth the issues of life. The connection between your lips and your heart must be preserved. If you get into the habit of speaking perverse things about other people, about speaking perverse things about the Word, apart from them, you are separating 
What your mouth says from the life in your heart. You must be careful about that. Don't ever speak down on the wisdom of God. Now, sometimes we've done this. People have come to us and they have given us the wisdom of God. And we have stood there in front of them and said, yes, yes, I see. I should do that. I should do that. And then we walk away from there and 30 minutes, an hour later, a day later, we start talking to someone else. And what, you know, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so said this to me. I can't believe they believe that. I can't believe they spoke that. What am I doing? That's perverse lips. Yesterday, I agreed with it. Now I say no. What am I doing with the life? I am causing the separation. When I need the life, I can't speak it because I've separated from it. You got to make sure you preserve that. Make sure that you keep that, that going. I put this in your outline last week. If you weren't here, you can pick one up or get it from the internet. When you speak deceitful and perverse things, you separate the connection of life and words, heart and mouth, and death envelops you. Because we are in a world where there's death. It is the life of God that separates us from that. Don't cause there to be a separation. We saw that last week Jethro gave some advice to Moses. Moses did not despise this. Moses to his face says, you know what? This is good stuff. This is good word. I'm going to go ahead and do this. And he went ahead and did it. And we saw that the advice that Jethro gave, Jethro watched him the whole day. He watched him from the morning until the evening. He sat and he judged the people. And he didn't judge him right off the bat. He didn't judge him right after one or two. He waited until the whole day was done. He pulled Moses aside and says, Moses, what you're doing isn't good. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear these people out. He said, I want you to do this. I want you to go out there. And I want you to get leaders of tens, leaders of fifties, leaders of hundreds, and leaders of thousands. We added that up. And if we took the conservative number, remember the number for Israel right now is somewhere between two and four million people. If we take the conservative number of two million people, we saw that that meant that Moses, from the words of Jethro, needed to incorporate the services of a quarter of a million people. That's a lot of people. The Jethro was telling him, you've got a quarter of a million people here who can help you with this. Now train them up. And that system that Jethro put in place is the same system we use in our courts today. Lower courts, higher courts, upper courts. And the matters worked their way on through. It's the same system we got. Our forefathers got a lot of how our government runs from the Bible. And that was one of them. So Moses did that and he continued to do it. And people continued in Israel to, to do that and follow that same pattern. But he took what the wisdom was and he listened to it. He heard it. When the wisdom of God comes to us, we need to hear it. There are many people in the Bible who heard it but didn't recognize it. There are some who pretended to to be wise only to talk it down later. They were given into a deceitful mouth. Don't fall into that pattern. Don't fall into that. Let's just review what we were into before. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let you... Your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add, will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. He says, do not forget my law. He says, let your heart keep my commands. He said, let not mercy and truth forsake you he says bind them around your neck he says write them on a tablet of your heart there's five commands right there do not forget let not your heart let not 
mercy and truth forsake you, bind them around your neck and write them on a tablet of your heart. Whose action is required for these five things? It is yours. God cannot do this for you. This is something that you must do. If you do not do these things, can God step in? No. Verse 4. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Do you know that favor with men is helpful? Men being men and women, not just males. Favor with men is helpful. If you have favor with men, how many of y'all know your job goes better? Raises come easier. The neighborhood works better. Family stuff seems to go along smoother. Favor is a good thing. If people like you, they will tend to try and do more for you. I don't know why people don't get this wisdom when they call customer service people. Call customer service people and they start beating them up and telling them how bad everything is. They didn't, they didn't create the problem for you. They're there trying to help you out. See, what you want to do is get them on your side. You want to talk nice. Don't talk, don't talk nasty. Talk nice. These people are there. They are in a position to help you. Do not distance them. Don't get them to write anything in your file. It says this person calls. <laughs> That's not good. But too often Christians put these kind of things off on God. But God says, no, you need to do this. If you'll do this, if you will not forget my law, does that mean that there are certain times that you can forget it? When you have an unruly customer service person on the phone. When you have a return that's not going so well. Are there certain times that you can forget the law? No. Do not forget the law. Do not forget what God's law is. Keep your heart. Let your heart keep my commands. That means you just don't do it outwardly, but on the inside you believe this is the way I should act. This is the way I should go. Sometimes people are doing things outwardly, but inwardly they believe something different. Inwardly they like to take your head off. But outwardly, they're trying to act differently. Can you tell? (laughs) You sure can sometimes, can't you? Let your heart keep my commands. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Can you picture times when you have dealt with people and you let mercy forsake you? You let mercy go. I'm not having mercy. I'm having judgment right now. What's the word of God say about that? Bind them around your neck. If they are bound around your neck, then they're probably not going anywhere without you realizing. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. They should not just be in a book somewhere where you have to carry around. You should know them. They should be on the inside of you. This is what he's saying. If you do all this, you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. What happens if you do this 95% of the time? Should you get 95% of the benefit? What's God say about partial obedience? What happened to Saul when Saul said, you know, we, we obeyed. And what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? What, what did God say about partial obedience? It is better to obey than to sacrifice. Don't get into that partial stuff. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. Here again, we have an action that God's going to do, but first off, there's some things that you need to do. What's the first thing you need to do? 
trust in the Lord with all your heart. How many people pray to God and ask God, God, help me trust you? Don't raise your hand if you've done that. Because no one here will ever know that you did that. Unless you give it away. We can't pray, God, help me to trust you. A similar thing, the disciples came to, to, to Jesus and they said, uh, increase our faith. What do you say? There you go. No, he didn't do that, did he? Mm-mm. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Whose responsibility is it to trust? It's ours. It's ours. Now you say, well, yeah, but people have to earn your trust. God does not have to earn your trust because God has never let it down. God has never lied. God has never forsaken us. God has never done anything. Our faith sometimes has. Our understanding of some things has sometimes done it. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's your decision. If you are trusting God, you decided to. If you are not trusting God, Look yourself in the mirror and say, it's because I decided not to trust him. First thing you got to do is acknowledge the problem. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How much of your heart? All. All. How about if you trust him with half of it? Are you doing it? How about you trust him with three quarter? No, not going to work, huh? Trust him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If we don't trust in the Lord, whose understanding do we lean on? Our own. That's how we, we, we fall off of the trust in the Lord because, well, God, I don't quite understand how it's going to work that way. So I'm going to do it this way because I can understand it. I'm not trusting in him and I'm leaning on my own understanding. So he says, first off, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Is this wisdom? Would it be good if we did this? We know that, but when we are faced with a situation, what do we do? We lean on our own understanding. Why? Because I understand that. <laughs> In all your ways, acknowledge Him. How many of your ways? All. all. This is kind of an all or nothing thing. You're in it. And He shall direct your paths. Well, I don't know that I can trust the Lord with all my heart. I don't know that I can not lean on my own understanding sometimes. I don't know if all my ways I can acknowledge Him. It's your decision. But this is the better way to go because here's the promise. And He shall direct your paths. How often have we gotten ourselves in a pickle and we yell at God, God, I don't why did you lead me here? Let's go back to this verse. Did you trust in the Lord with all your heart? Well, most of the time. Did you lean not on your understanding? Well, just a couple of times I did. In all your ways, did you acknowledge him? Well, maybe. (laughs) Why are you asking the question? (laughs) Why are you asking the question? God did not lead you there. How did you get there? I didn't trust in the Lord. I leaned on my own understanding and I didn't acknowledge him in all my ways. That's how I got there. So first off, you ought to respond to God and say, God, I messed up. I am here because I blew it. But you help people in the Word of God who've blown it before. What can I do now? Will God direct your path if you don't act first? Is what I put in your outline. Will God direct your path if you don't act first? I gotta act. I gotta do something. Verse seven. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Oh, how many times you hear people do this? Especially after spouting the wisdom of God. Well, so-and-so, well, the Word says, well, God says, well, I felt like this, and they spout the wisdom of God, and that, but I don't think that's so. What are you doing? 
I am being wise in my own eyes. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Understand, in my own eyes, be a fool. Get, get his stuff. Do not be wise in your own eyes. There are people that are going to be sent along to help you with wisdom. There's word that's going to be sent along to help you with wisdom. The Spirit of God is going to speak to you about some things to help you with wisdom. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Part of fearing the Lord is to depart from evil. If you keep embracing evil, if you keep hanging on and doing things that the Word of God says you won't do or shouldn't do, you will bear the brunt of it. Not because God's going to put it on you, but because He says, don't go that way. Don't go that way. It's a bad way. Don't go that way. And we go that way. We get ourselves into trouble. What do we do? God, why did you let this happen to me? He says, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. I think he's pretty much covered the body right there. Because what is not flesh is bone. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. How many have ever, uh, you know, you watch the TV and you see all the little bone diseases you can get? You go back to this thing. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. If you are living in a, in a place fearful of your bones are getting weaker, what should you do? Speak this to your bones. There is strength in my bones because I am not wise in my own eyes. I fear the Lord and depart from evil. And it will be health to my flesh and strength to my bones. Well, do you trust the Word of God? Do you believe the Word of God? Verse 9, Honor the Lord with your possessions. We looked at this when we were going over barns. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves... He corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. If, if the Lord chastises you, it's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. That's all. He says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. I put this in your outline. How does chastening come to us? If I'm going to be chastened, we know how it comes from, from fathers and mothers, but how does it come from God? I put three things in here. First off, it comes through the word. You're reading the Word? Because how many of you are reading the Word? How many of you are in this, in this church right now are reading your chapter every day? Keep on reading it. If you stopped, if you got behind, just pick up right where you left off. Don't worry about the ones in between. Just pick up and go. But don't stop. Keep reading the Word. As you read the Word, what's going to happen? The Spirit of God's going to speak to you about some of that stuff. Oh, I, I forgot that was in the Word. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the thing I need to do. The Spirit of God's going to speak to you about it, right through the Word. That's one way. Second way, through His Spirit. His Spirit's going to come up on the inside of you and speak some things to you and tell you some things. You need to listen. You need to hear what the Spirit has to say. It's going to come through the Word. It's going to come through His Spirit. His Spirit is always going to agree with the Word. Sometimes it'll come through His Spirit. The third way is through His servants. People in the body of Christ are going to speak some things to you. So the chastening of the Lord will come through the Word, through His Spirit, through His servants. A brother or sister might be next to you and say something. A brother or sister might see something you're doing and speak something to you. You might hear a teacher, prophet. 
apostle, somebody in the body of Christ, gets up and says some, teaches some things out of the Word of God. Oh, oh, I, I've been messed up on that one. I'm not doing that right. You just got chastened. Why? Because God loves you. You just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You helped me out with that. I see that. And if you listen, it will go better with you. Paul teaches us in the New Testament. He said, if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. So when the word comes and the correction comes, you judge yourself, you correct it. Then what happens when judgment time comes? I won't be judging that. That's always good. Verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. How many like to be happy? Isn't happy better than sad? We like being happy. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. We sometimes substitute this. Happy is the man who finds a good woman. Happy is the woman who finds a good man. Happy is the person who finds a good job. Happy is the person who has a nice house. Happy is the person who drives a nice car. We have a lot of other things we put in here, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, happy is the man who finds wisdom. You know, you could be poor and have nothing and have wisdom. And the Word of God says, what about you? You can be happy. Happiness is not based on your stuff. It's not based on what you have. It's based on what you've got on the inside of you. And you've got the wisdom of God. You've got understanding on the inside of you. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. The man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver. Now, you may read that and you may, you'll, you'll hear this with spiritual ears. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, the proceeds are better than silver. But when you have the opportunity to earn silver or, or gain wisdom, which one will you pick? <laughs> mm-hmm. We know. We sometimes pick the silver, don't we? And her gain and fine gold. Sometimes hear it with spiritual ears. This stuff will help you more than gold and silver ever will. It doesn't say gold and silver are bad and throw it all away. It doesn't say that. It's saying it's going to help you more. Verse 15, she is more precious than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Whatever it is that you desire, it will not compare to wisdom. Will not do it. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand, riches and honor. So when she comes, she comes loaded. She's got length of days on one side, riches and honor in the next. So if you get a hold of wisdom, what comes with her is length of days, riches and honor. That's a good package deal. How many like those commercials they have on the TV about bundling? This is a bundle right here. If you take wisdom, wisdom is bundled with length of days and riches and honor. Oh, that's good. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. Have you ever been on a way that is not pleasant? Wisdom probably didn't take you there. And her paths are peace. Doesn't mean there wasn't any problems along the way. Jesus had strife. He had unpeaceful people around him. But Jesus was always at peace. Did you ever get the idea from the Gospels that Jesus' way was ever unpleasant? There's a lot of unpleasant people around him. 
There's a lot of people making fusses around him. But he was okay. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who retain her. You can't just have it. You've got to retain it. Remember our example last week? How do you know if you retain wisdom? We use the example of a catcher in baseball. And the throw comes in from the outfield. And the catcher catches the baseball in time to tag out the runner. And so what, what does the runner do? He tries to dislodge the ball from the catcher. Because if he does, he will be safe. So he runs over the catcher. There's a big collision at the plate. That's why catchers get paid lots of money. Because that's where the big collisions are. You've got to be ready to handle the collision. And when you handle the collision, when you're in it, you need to come out on top. And if you do enough times, you'll get lots of money. Teams will pay you money to sit there at the plate, catch the ball, and get run over and hang on to the ball. And so after the runner comes through, runs over the catcher, the umpire makes no call because he comes over to the catcher to look for what? Is the ball in his possession? Or has it dribbled out onto the ground? As long as he is holding onto the ball, the call of the umpire is out. If the ball has dribbled out on the ground, he is safe. So you have retained wisdom when adversaries come against you to knock it out and you hang on. That's how you know you've retained it. That's our example from last week. Just remind you about that one. Verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. We've said this before. Science is science. There is a field of science because there are laws that govern it. People who want to say that scientists are atheists or don't believe in God and so forth, it's hogwash. There are some out there. But the only reason they have a job is because God put laws in operation and they're sitting out there and trying to discover them. He put laws in operation. We don't know all the laws that he put in operation. We're still discovering some laws that are in operation for the universe. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and direct discretion. So they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. They will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. Oh, to walk safely in our way. Wouldn't that be great for our foot to never stumble? But if in order for that to happen, keep sound wisdom. We've got to retain it. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Verse 24, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. How many have ever had trouble sleeping at night for one reason or another? The best thing for sleep at night is simply this. Verse 25, Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Have the confidence in God that your way is directed. How many times have you talked with people? I was up all last night worrying about this. See, you're, you're not holding on to wisdom. You're not keeping wisdom. Get wisdom. Keep it on the inside of you. When you go to sleep, you go to sleep. Devil comes along and says, worry about this for a while. And we say, no, I'm going to sleep. 
When you go down to sleep at night, you should go to sleep. When you wake up in the morning, then you can take up some things and start doing stuff, but don't ever get into a place where you start to be worried about it. He says, do not be afraid of sudden terror. Ever had some sudden terror come on you? He says, don't be afraid of it. Don't pick it up. It comes in suddenly. Tell it to go suddenly. Get it out. Nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. Don't sit around thinking about all the stuff wicked people are going to do to you or all the plans they have. Put it out of your head. Let it go. Let wisdom guide you. That'll help you to sleep real good. Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not hold good good from those to whom it is due. It does not say do good to everyone. There are some people that your good will, not, will be wasted on them. Don't do it. Do good to those to whom it's due. We could spend a whole Sunday just on that part. And we have covered some of that before. When it is in the power of your hand to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it. When you have it with you, don't put it off. He's saying Verse 29, do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. You know your neighbor, it's, it's good to have neighbors. Neighbors help you to not be robbed by people coming on down. I don't know if you heard about this. I saw this somewhere and I thought, oh, that's a pretty neat, neat thing to do. How many of you folks have one of those cars that has the alarm on it? It seems like all the new cars anymore just come with that. You don't have to order it. It's just part of it. And if you uh, hit the wrong button on your little remote, then the whole thing just, you know, the bells and whistles and all kinds of stuff goes off. How many of you keep your car keys down by your door at nighttime? When you come in at night, you, know, you put the car keys up. How many of you put them down by your door? I saw this as a, as a, as a thing to do. That, and I can't say that I've done it, but um, uh, I know that this will be a helpful thing. If you take your car keys and don't put them by your door anymore, but you put them up in your bedroom or on your bedside table, and you hear someone breaking into the house, you know what you could do if you don't have an alarm system? Hit the remote button on your car. What would that? Who would that alert? Everybody. Pretty much everybody in your neighborhood, right? <laughs> and if that keeps going off. <laughs> I shared it with my neighbor. I, I, I heard that. I said, I shared that with him. He said, man, that's a good idea. So, you know, we're both looking out for it. If we ever get into the habit and we put those things up there and we push it, if we hear it, we'll get out of bed and we'll go over to our neighbor's house and see what's going on. But that's a neat idea, isn't it? Why in the world have the thing? You, got, you pay all that money for an alarm? You got one sitting out there in your driveway. Right there in the driveway. Go ahead and use it. <laughs> that's wisdom. That's right. <laughs> but the Bible here is telling you that having neighbors, people around you, this is the help. You want them on your side. You want them to like you. Neighbors are good. He says, do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. You're all around each other. You help each other out. The whole idea of a robber coming in and robbing somebody's house is they don't want any of the neighbors to find out they're there. Otherwise, they all might come on out. And they're kind of hoping that if they did think anything was going on, they wouldn't come out. Do not strive with a man without cause. He does not say, do not strive with a man. He says, don't strive with a man without cause. If you have cause, strive with them. It's all right. Did Jesus ever strive with anybody? He sure did, but he had cause, didn't he? You got cause, go out there and strive with them. If he has done you no harm, you know, leave him alone. 
Do not strive with a man without, without, without cause. If maybe they haven't harmed you. Maybe they've harmed someone else and you're standing up for them. That's fine. Jesus did that too. Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Sometimes we look at the, the things that oppressors have and we can say, oh, I want some of that. Well, don't envy the oppressor. Don't go after their way. Don't go walk in any of his ways. Don't choose his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. Glory to God. Don't be one of those perverse persons. They may have stuff now, but this is all they got. And when they die, it stays here and they got nothing. And when you die, guess what? You got it all. You got mansions. You're walking on streets of gold, through gates of pearls. Glory to God. It's going to be good. They got nothing. So don't envy the oppressor. Verse 33. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. <laughs> the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. Do you have wicked people in your neighborhood? The curse of the Lord is on, that, on those folks. But he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Don't be scornful. We still haven't covered that part of it yet, but we're going to look into scornful people, simple people, all that sort of thing. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. So go the way of wisdom, is what he's saying. Now turn your Bibles over to Daniel chapter 1. We want to take a look at some of these principles in action. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasures house of his, of his God. Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. So they had three years of training to go on. And Daniel was brought into this. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. I like to refer to them by their Hebrew names. I throw out their giving Chaldean names. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel is not against eating these things because these things are bad for you. Meat is not bad, nor is wine. It's not bad for you. What was the problem was this wine and this meat was used in the sacrifices of their idols. And Daniel did not want to have part with that. And so he purposed in his heart to stay away from it. Daniel, when he was uh, in the land of Israel, very likely ate meat all the time because it was not meat sacrificed to idols. There was some meat that was sacrificed to God. And there was other meat that they just cut up and enjoyed. So as Daniel purposed 
in his heart. Now, when we've seen in the Word of God, how many have ever read the book of Daniel? Or how many have never read the book of Daniel? Never got through the whole thing. All right, a couple of people. We've done a book of Daniel here a couple of times in, the, in one of my favorite, favorite books in the Old Testament. And you probably know by now, Daniel is my all-time favorite Bible character. He is my favorite. Always has, as far as I can remember, he has been my favorite. Over David, over Paul, over all the other ones, he is my favorite. I just, I just really enjoy Daniel. And Daniel is one in which we see the wisdom of God work in more than many. And certainly more than Solomon. I'm not saying it didn't work in Solomon. I'm saying we don't see it in the Bible. But here we see a lot of the wisdom going on in him. Wisdom will cause you, as we saw in chapter 3, will cause you to be having favor with who? God and men. If you walk in the wisdom of God, you will grow in favor with God and man, is what the Proverbs was telling us. We saw that Jesus, who also walked in the wisdom of God, the Word of God says that Jesus grew in the favor of God and man. Wisdom will do this for you. Verse 9, Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. How did he get there? Did he get there because he looked good? No, he got there because he walked in the wisdom of God. The way that he ordered himself. Now, it's real important that you go back to this phrase that he said, Daniel purposed in his heart not to eat the provisions given to him from the king. We saw later on in the book of Daniel that Daniel had purposed in his heart. It didn't say, use those exact words, but we saw that, he, that since he was a young lad, he had purposed, he had set himself to pray three times a day. Remember that? Three times a day he prayed and he never stopped that. Even as he moved up in the kingdom, he never stopped it. When we've gone through the book of Daniel, we've shown you some of the problems that he probably would have had with that. Can you imagine the king who is over an, an entire kingdom not just a country, but a kingdom, a bunch of nations. And Daniel is in contention to become number two. He's worked his way up, but he's way up there and in, in one of the leaders. Do you think that at some point during that time with Daniel, the king said, send a memo over to Daniel. I need to meet with him tomorrow at three o'clock. And Daniel sends back the message. King, I can meet with you at two. I can meet with you at four, but three o'clock is my prayer time. <coughs> Daniel, I don't care what kind of time you have. I need you at three o'clock. You're my helper. You're, my, you're, you're one of my men I depend on. I need you here at three o'clock. I got so-and-so coming in. We're all coming in. We need to meet at three o'clock. King, I'm willing to meet with you at two. I'm willing to meet with you at one. I'm willing to meet with you at four. I'm willing to meet with you other times, but I can't at three o'clock. Do you think that kind of contention came up at some point? And Daniel had to establish his three times that he prayed, morning, afternoon, and evening. And if the king needed him during that time, he couldn't do it. So the king got a hold of Daniel's schedule. And Daniel probably told him, look, king, remember when we first met and I had the interpretation of that dream? It's because of the relationship I have with my God. These prayer times keep that relationship going. There's times you're going to need me again to hear from God. I need to keep that relationship going. I need those prayer times. He probably said, Daniel, you're right. I may need you. Three o'clock, that's your prayer time. You come on over after you're done. They probably had that understanding. At some point, they came into a clash with that. At some point, they, they worked past it because Daniel did not relent. And Daniel was willing to go and die and not give up one of his prayer times. 
Because he said once the he knew the edict was signed, he went into his chamber, opened the windows towards Jerusalem, and prayed like any other day. And they came in and they got him and they were ready to throw him into the den of lions. He was willing to die over not moving his prayer time. What do you think he was willing to do to not eat food, sacrifice to idols? How determined do you think he would be on that? All right. I want you to keep that in mind. This is important to keep in mind when you go on to the rest of this, this part. I put this in your outline before we go and pass it. I don't want to miss this. The time to walk in a way that gains favor is before you need it. That's real important to know. Daniel already has favor with the eunuch. Already has favor. He doesn't need it. Now he needs it. He already has favor. Verse 10. And the chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed you food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. I want to go back over, go back over to verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he what? He requested. We've already talked about it and pretty much determined that Daniel is willing to die on this principle. If you, are, if you have a principle that you are willing to die on, do you make a request? Wisdom makes a request. Foolishness makes a demand. Daniel walks in the way of wisdom. And so he comes to him, and even though Daniel is probably ready to die instead of eat this stuff, he makes a request. Now you think about how many times you have talked with people, interacted with people on a really strong principle you believe in, and you came after them with both barrels instead of making a request. Verse 13, then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he's saying it this way. Look, I, I understand your neck's on the line here. We don't want to mess you up. It's your job. You have to make sure you do this. So do this. If you just do it 10 days, 10 days, would you spot us 10 days? And would you just uh, give us what we're asking for and give the other people the other things? And then after 10 days, compare us. If we don't look at least as good as they look, then we'll go ahead and we'll do what you're saying. Now, I don't think he would have. I don't think he would have quite gone along with it then. But he's, he's put it in, the, in his. Look, you, you make the judge. You make the call. I'm not going to make the call. You make the call. Ten days. And the guy said, ah, oh, that's all right. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for ten days. Why'd he do it? Because he has favor with them. Because Daniel had always operated in a way to make requests, not demands. To be walking in the way of wisdom and not foolishness. He was careful with his words. All those things we read in Proverbs 3 and all the other ones, he walked in those things. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This does not mean that you will be healthier if you eat vegetables. If you want to eat vegetables... Fine, you go ahead and eat them. If you want to eat just vegetables, then you eat all the just vegetables that you want to. That's your choice. That's your decision. But don't do it here because of Daniel. Daniel is doing it because he does not want the stuff sacrificed to idols. 
That's what he cares about. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So he brings them in, he looks them over, and and it turns out, you know what, you guys are even a little fatter, a little plumper, a little healthier looking than the rest of them. So we're going to go ahead and keep this going on. They kept it going on. They kept on eating what they wanted. And then they were finally brought before the king to be examined to see how well they had done in all this. And the king himself, it says, examined them. And he found these four guys to be ten times better than anyone else. That'll get your attention. Now, let's go on to chapter 2 just for a little bit of this. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and in his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. He didn't understand Proverbs chapter 3. He was worried about stuff. He was worried about the future. He was fearful. Sudden terror had come upon him. All the sort of stuff that Proverbs chapter 3 said, get rid of that, you'll have a good, good night's sleep. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. Now they're calling the main guys. Daniel's not quite in with the main guys just yet. He's still working his way up. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Neat little thing here. Uh, the movies picked this up one time. How many of you have ever watched the movie Red October? The Hunt for Red October. The Red October is fan. I love the movie. It was a great movie. Sean Connery is uh, outstanding. But at one point in Sean Connery, the, the, the language on the submarine is Russian. And the language of the rest of the people is English. And they close the doors on the Red October. And they began to inter- interact and talk. And they were talking still in Russian. And they had the little subtitles you had to read. And you're reading the subtitles. And then all of a sudden, Sean Connery pulls out the Bible. And he begins to read the Bible. And he begins to read the Bible. He reads it in English. And from that point on, Sean Connery, a Russian, plain a Russian, speaks English. And they switched it over at that point. Do you remember that in the movie? They changed this. From that point on, the submarine, no more subtitles. They spoke English. But you understood they were speaking Russian. They were just getting the interpretation, so to speak. In the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel starts off in the language of Hebrew. And then it switches over to the language of Aramaic. You know when it does that? Right here. And he spoke to the king, and the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, and we change over to Aramaic and we stay that way. We made the change. That was the language of the people there. So the rest of the book of Daniel is written in that language. That's just a side note. Oh, king, live forever. Won't really help you in your spiritual world. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. 
If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Many people who have not really studied the book of Daniel, some people who teach the book of Daniel, some people who uh, just are, are content with a lesser meaning of this, have taught, and many of you have probably heard this, that the king did not remember the dream. Therefore, he needed the Chaldeans to tell him the dream and then tell him the interpretation because he knew he had a disturbing dream, but he didn't remember what it was. The Bible never says that. Some teachers came up with that idea. I don't know why they did because the Bible is pretty clear on it. He's saying, no, I tell you the dream other times and you give me this crazy interpretation. I'm not always sure if it's right. But this is a different dream. This disturbs me down in my spirit. No, no, no. In order for me to know that you qualify to tell me the interpretation of the dream, you must tell me the dream. Then I'll know, he said right there in that verse, then I will know that you are qualified to tell me his interpretation. He has not forgotten the dream. He knows exactly what this dream is. This dream haunts him. And he wants to know the interpretation of this dream. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing for the king that the king requests. And there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. This makes him mad because these guys are supposed to be in touch with the gods of the Chaldeans. They're the ones that come to these guys and they go to the gods of the Chaldeans and they tell you what they say. And they're saying, we're not in touch with them. <laughs> Wait a minute. I've been paying you all these years. I've been feeding you all these years. I've been housing you all these years. And you're not doing what you said you could do. He's mad. Oh, he is mad. This is why he is so mad. He wants to kill them all because they've been lying to him. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Not just the ones that were there in the room, but all of them. I want to get rid of the whole program. I want every single one of them dead. Get out there and do it. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. I'm going to say that they started with the people in the room. But some wise men died. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. They're going through and they're sweeping through and going through all the Chaldeans. When they finally come to Daniel, Daniel finally knows something's going on and they're gathering them up to be killed. They sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain. Now, if you were, if someone has come into your house, pulled you out of the house and said, we're going to kill you, what would you say? Please don't. <laughs> I haven't done anything. You know, we would come up with things like this. This is what Daniel says. Why is a decree from the king so urgent? <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I don't know that that's the question I'm asking. Are you going to wonder why the decree is so urgent? I'm not really concerned about how urgent the decree is. I'm concerned about the decree. Decree says I die. This is an urgent request from a very mad king to a man who is afraid to give Daniel, to not give Daniel the wine and the meat for fear of the king's wrath. This man 
When Daniel says, why is the king's decree so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. How did he make him known? Well, Daniel, this is what happened. The king had a dream. The dream really bothered him. So he had, he pulled some of the wise men. You weren't there, but some of the other ones, you know, the, the higher up ones, pulled them into his room. He, he asked them to give the interpretation of the dream. They couldn't give the interpretation of the dream. And then they said this and they told him all the different things that he said. And when they finally said, we're not in touch with the gods, he got furious. He got mad and he commanded all of them wipe out. Is this a man who is afraid of the king? The thing is, Arioch is still just as fearful of the king, but he has grown in so much respect for the wisdom of Daniel that he takes time out from doing what the king said to inform Daniel what happened. If Daniel did not have the favor of Arioch, what do you think Daniel would have heard? Hush your mouth, get in line, we're going to kill you. But he had gotten favor. The time to obtain favor is before you need it. It's before you need it. He already has it. And he's tapping into it. Tell me, why is the king's command so urgent? How did he know that that question would unlock the story? Because he operated in wisdom. He got counsel. Where did he get counsel from? Spirit of God. Spirit of God said, ask him this question. Daniel may have even been arguing like we would have been thinking, I'd rather ask him this question. But the Spirit of God said, ask him this question. Why is the king's command so urgent? So Daniel asked him, and he got the whole story from a very busy man who was trying to round up all the people and kill them. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Either Daniel went in personally or he sent it through Arioch. He's already met the king. He's already been in the presence of the king. I don't know how favorable the king was to seeing any wise men at this time. He would have been okay with seeing Arioch. But Daniel had already set himself above all the rest. So maybe he did. But either Daniel went in or he sent Arioch in in his place and said this to him. Either way it would work as far as the Jewish people were concerned. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Their purpose is not to save the wise men of Babylon. The purpose is to save them. <laughs> they understand these people are not serving God. We are serving God. God will show up for us. That they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. It was not a dream. He was not asleep. A dream is what you have when you're asleep. A vision is what you have when you're awake. He was awake for this. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons, and he removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what it is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to the, thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king, 
and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captains of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. He's kind of going to go along with the the, the shirt tails here and uh, let Daniel carry him around. But this tells you something about Arioch. Arioch had such confidence in Daniel when Daniel said, I've got it, that he put his neck on the line with Daniel's. Up till now, Arioch's neck is not on the line. If this doesn't work, guess who's dying? Arioch is dead too. That is how much confidence the wisdom that Daniel spoke instilled in Arioch. Because I'll tell you what, Daniel does not tell Arioch the dream or its interpretation. He merely tells him, I've got it. Go tell the king. Tells you a whole lot about the relationship between Daniel and Arioch. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and his interpretation? This is not a good answer for Daniel. I think I would have answered this differently. But Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. That's not the way to start this off. He's already mad. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. I bet he got that out really fast. No pause for effect here. <laughs> Just get that next phrase out. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days your dream and the visions on your head upon your bed were these. And he begins to tell him the dream. And he then tells him the interpretation. And we spent time on these before. We're out here for just looking at the, the wisdom. It's a very simple dream. And Daniel will have much more involved end time visions than this. But this one came to the king because this puts it on the map. And this puts Daniel on the map. And that's why God gave it to an unsaved king. Because otherwise the dream and its interpretation would have been ignored. But King Nebuchadnezzar being over the whole realm made sure the whole realm knew. He liked the dream and he liked the interpretation. So Daniel gave it to him. Daniel, through wisdom, knew how to deal with people. And he got people on his side. He got people who didn't know him to respect him. He got people to do things for him that they wouldn't do for other people simply because he had favor. He got favor because he operated in the wisdom of God. We need to operate every day in the wisdom of God. We need to get the wisdom of God. We need to hold on to the wisdom of God. When an adversary comes, don't drop the ball. When an adversary comes, you hang on to it. You recognize it. You hear it. You respond to it. You do what the wisdom of God says to do. Daniel did that. When God spoke something to him, he said it. With wisdom and counsel, he asked Arioch a question. Why is the king's command so urgent? Daniel sat on, or Daniel was sat down. Here's the whole story. Here's what's going on. We can take care of this. We can take care of this. The king can get his dream and the king can get his interpretation. And Daniel was on a path to be set over the entire realm. He's on that path because he let wisdom operate everything that came out of his mouth. He didn't speak based on his feelings. He didn't speak speak based on hurt, hurts that went on. He didn't speak the foolishness that he heard around him. He spoke the wisdom that came to him from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God. Because of it, people liked 
Daniel. We are going to find some, if you keep on going in the book of Daniel, you will find a group of people who don't like Daniel, who are mad at all the attention that Daniel was getting. And Daniel continued to operate in wisdom. What happened to those people? They were destroyed by the very thing they tried to destroy Daniel with because God gave him wisdom. You do not need to fear the people who rise up against you because of the word that is in you. Jesus said there will be persecutions will come because of the word that is in you. You don't have to be afraid of it. Stand. Hang on to that wisdom. Whatever the word of God says to walk in, walk in it. If it doesn't seem like the right thing at a time, do it. It's imperative. Imperative that you listen. If you want a peaceful way, if you want pleasantness to be the way that you walk, this is what we need to do. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the wisdom that you give us from your word. We need to take that wisdom. We need to etch it into the tablet of our heart. We need to bind it around our neck. We need to keep it on our lips all the days that we are here on this earth. We need to speak it. We need to recite it. We need to think it. It needs to be a part of our everyday existence. Help us, Father, in all the getting that we do to get wisdom, to get understanding. We thank you for the help that you give us in this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Not sure if it's this week or this week coming up or the next week, but one of these weeks, we are going to get into a problem that plagues a lot of Christians. There are a lot of Christians who have declared things about the Word, declared things about their life. I don't understand this. Or they'll say things. And they have spoken things not from a wise way of speaking. And they have brought calamity on themselves. Christian people have brought calamity on themselves. Either this week or next week, we're going to get into how you can spot that, how you can get away from it. Once you learn the principles and the Word of God on this, you hear any Christian speak, non-Christians speak this way all the time, but we expect that of them. But you hear Christians speak, you'll be able to pick up in a second whether they're speaking from wisdom or one of the other ways they could be speaking. It'd be real easy for you to tell. Word of God is not complicated on this. Thank God for that. Do you have your praise reports? I saw we had a few of them handing in already. As uh, a few more coming. Uh, one of the young men in the church alerted me to the fact that we were out of our Bible reading uh, charts back there. So if you needed a new one, lost one, whatever it might be, it is there. You can also get it on the website. If you click on the uh, marquee on the website, you can uh, get the exact same thing that we, we have there. Uh, but pull this, pull this other some more in the back table there if you need one. Make sure that you're reading. You can check off as you go along. If you have skipped a bunch of weeks... Uh, if you've fallen behind, whatever it might be, just pick up right, right where, we are, where we're at and just keep on going. We're in the book of Acts. You can get on there and, and pull this up. We're almost through the book of Acts. But just pick it up where we are. And then as you have time, go on back and pick up some of the other chapters. But uh, just, just get yourself going. It's imperative that we get the Word of God into us. Praise report. Let's hear some. Okay, um, this one comes from Jolly. He says his daughter in the Lord in Washington, uh, Washington, D.C., went through multiple surgeries a couple weeks ago and is recovering well. Praise God for that. <clears throat> Bruce Jacobs, um, God has blessed us with the opportunity to buy a grill that we've been looking for for about six months. 
Um, we were able to purchase the grill well below retail, about 65% lower. Um, so we actually bought it cheaper than we were able to, and they were able to price match it through another store. So praise God. And that's, you know, that's who, just talking about wisdom, you know, I remember um, Lynette Hagen talking about how she had wanted a particular bedroom set when they first got married, and, and it was just a whole lot more than what they had budgeted for. And the Lord kept telling her, wait, 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 wait. And then he directed her to a particular store, and she was able to get it for like one quarter of the price she would have spent. So, again, listening to the Holy Spirit and just allowing him to lead you on that and use his wisdom. Phyllis said she bought extra groceries two weeks ago and was able to bless a family. She was able to bless a family with lots of groceries this week. God knew what they would need. Hmm. Um, Daryl said that God gave him the opportunity to fellowship with a couple that they had not seen in two years. And they were able to give counsel to them regarding their son, who was thinking of getting married right after graduation this December. Sometimes God will just put divine um, connections together from you to give somebody something they need. And um, that's why we tell you, too, it's important that you're at church because you don't know who's going to be there to know what gift is going to be needed, what wisdom is going to be needed, or what's going to be imparted to you. So it's important that you, you be around other people. Um, Nicole says, I thank God for seeing me through the midterm week this week. Praise God. <laughs> Those are hard times. Um, mm-hmm. And strengthening me each day. Amen. Oh, praise God. Susan says, um, praise God, I sold seven books yesterday at God's Treasure House Banquet. Amen. She says, also a situation in work was resolved without confrontation. Um, Naz says, God's favor uh for some time now on my job, I was asked to monitor um, and log in a book and sign off on overtime. Meanwhile, I'm allowed to work a lot of overtime. <laughs> Praise God. So, so in other words, you're getting overtime when other people may not, right? <laughs> Praise favorite. God. Amen. Sharon says um, she had a mentally challenging week, but thank God for his peace, joy, and wisdom in all these challenges. Josiah said he had two courses he needed to graduate that were being offered on the same day at the same time. No matter which advisor or dean I spoke with, they said that they couldn't do anything to change the course schedule. But God worked the situation out in such a way that a person uh, my mom spoke to, okay, you got really, really smart here. A person my mom spoke to gave us the right person to contact who changed the date and time. <laughs> A day before I was allowed to register, I am on the wait list, but I'm believing God that I will graduate on time. (laughs) God has a way of changing those things in favor. Amen. So how many of you enjoy hearing the things that God's doing for us? Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. A lot of good praise reports. Glory to God. Always like to hear them. Write them down throughout the week. If you don't get to get here, you can always send them in through any of the Facebook, emails, different ways you you can do that. Text them over. We'll make sure we get them up here for you. Love to hear what God is doing. Wednesday night, we will not have service here. Uh, we're called off the service because we have Thursday night, Hallelujah night, and we have Friday night, Alpha meeting.